Welcome to Win the Day with Wasson, presented by MarketScale in partnership with WTD Consulting. Let's deep dive into the principles and perspectives that have shaped the winning mindsets with our guests focused on driving people performance. Confident our guests can help you unlock the coveted it factor that we believe is a learnable trait enabling the separation for success in a world of human commoditization. I'd like to welcome our audience to a special guest, a gentleman that really doesn't need much of an introduction because he's typically speaking to audience all over the country. He's delivered over 200 keynotes, reached over 40 plus thousand individuals. Will Baggett, welcome to Win the Day with Wassel. Hey Chase, thank you so much for the opportunity, man. I'm excited to be joining the airwaves with you and really looking forward to the conversation. Well, Will, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. I know our audience is really gonna benefit uh, just from your way of thinking and, and, and truly an innovator in building a brand. Uh, I know currently, Will, just for our audience, you're the co-founder, chief of content and brand strategy at Monetize Your Message. Yes, sir. But for our audience, Will, let's let's dive all the way back to, to you at you know Mississippi uh, and, and how you ended up at Ole Miss. But give our audience just a, a high-level overview, Will, of, of who you are and really what's helped shape that, that vision you have to really craft brands for, for individuals. Absolutely, man. Chase, you know, I'll go all the way, all the way back to 1995. So, and I'll, I'll skip ahead, don't worry, um, for the interest of time. But I was I was watching this movie one time, Street Fighter. I don't know if you remember that movie. John claude Van Damme, it was a classic, in my, my opinion. I love the game. And I was watching the movie so much that I memorized the entire movie, like start to finish, all hour and a half of it. And then my dad come in and watch it with me. And he was like, well, what's wrong with you? And I started reciting the whole the whole movie. And that's when he got me tested to see, okay, are you something really wrong with you or something really right with you? And so from there, I think uh, so my parents kind of realized, okay, all right, he's all right. You just got to get him in the right in the right situation, right setup. And I think that's where my love for branding kind of started from. I've always loved the performing arts, theater, things of that sort. So to be able to take a vision and put it into a visual form, or and uh, put it in some kind of format that evokes emotion or gets people excited. That's always been a passion of mine. And so from the, from the time I was six years old, watching movies up until now and creating content, it's all for me integrated and it's all part of the same wheelhouse. But to answer your question uh, more specifically, I actually went to Mississippi State my freshman year. So I've committed the ultimate Benedict Arnold um, <laughs> going to Mississippi State and went there for a year and you know, I, was on a, I was on a scholarship and I wasn't really like it. And so I transferred uh, back over to Ole Miss just before the transfer portal and I didn't play sport. Um, my high school has been uh, in basketball. And from there, man, uh, I had a great opportunity to, t- to, to attend Ole Miss. Uh, my parents were there. My brother was there. And it was just a fun time, man. And I actually was a science major. So I got my uh, degree in exercise science and physiology. And I started coaching and I wanted to be a doctor at one point. And then I took this class in biology, like I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And, you know, the rest is history from there. Well, I, I know there were there are a lot of integral pieces that, that continue to kind of form your foundation that, that is ultimately put you in a position to become a an author. Um, you know, kind of we touched on the keynote speaking. But so you finished up in Ole Miss. I know you had a, a, a tremendous amount of accolades as far as fraternity, you know, Academics has always been a priority for you, Will, but you've talked about kind of that brand and, and you've always been, been one to visualize how to impact people. And, and you're doing that now at a, at a broad global level. But so you finish at Ole Miss. What, what was it in your mind that, that, that started to, I guess, 
you know, spark the innovation and thought to create, kind of bet on yourself and put yourself in a position to then kind of get back into that athletic realm where you are more or less, you know, an executive level coach for athletes. Absolutely. You know, honestly, it was, I won't say it was a mistake or accident. You know, I just think I really shook the right hands and met the right people. And, you know, my, my, my dad always taught me about uh, being rich in relationships, you know, just having uh, great relationships with people, treating them nicely and kindly. And so I was think that I think that really spilled a lot of my future. But to be uh, more specific, I was I was working at Walmart while I was at Ole Miss and I finished up at Ole Miss and I was looking for my next step. And I ended up getting into Baylor University and it was there. I met one of my mentors and we later co-wrote co uh, the book, The Blueprint for a Successful Career. But I think the real seminal kind of turning point was when I went to this conference, I was, work, I was working as a grad assistant for the American Football Coaches Association. And that year I was supposed to be you know, doing signing and things of that sort and just doing operations. And I walked into a room I wasn't supposed to be in and I heard a guy talking about branding and how do you present yourself and nonverbal communication. I just fell in love with it. And so I just stayed in the room. I was pouring water in people's glasses to look like I was the help so I could stay in the room and soak up all the information. And from there, man, I fell in love with it. And to be honest with you, I sat on it for two years after that. I just sat on it. And it was a moment after I started writing my book, I reached out to my uh, old English teacher from high school and told her I was working on my book and wanted to get her help with it. But here's the thing, I stopped writing the book because I read it. Manuscript was terrible in my opinion. So I threw it in the trash. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Well, then I got a call December 15, 2014, that she had passed away in a car accident. And I was really distraught by that because I put on something that I told her I was going to finish. So I wanted her to see it because she was the one that inspired me. Ooh, right. And so from that point on, I've just always been just a self-started innovator because I don't want something bad to happen to push me into what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And so from there, it went into working with student athletes. I worked at the national championship, CIP and other places. And I was building my brand business concurrently. And I started just teaching people. And for me, I study brands from a holistic standpoint. So I always have said that you have a brand by design or by default. So from a personal standpoint, but then there's also emotion guides of colors like Target, CNN. It's red because it wants to get your attention. Facebook is blue, Intel. They want to build trust. John Deere is green, earthly, natural. Apple sleek with the kind of silver kind of logo. And then you have eBay, Microsoft, <clears throat> and they are all colors because they want to appeal to all people. Google, for example, NBC. And so I've studied that from brand history and things I post about now on LinkedIn. I really wanted to have a unique understanding of what it looks like holistically. And I think brand from an economic standpoint applies a lot to who we are as people. It's a lot we can take from it. Man, I, I love that. And, and I want to dig into something that you've commented on, Will. And, and you touched on, you know, kind of in your in your day-to-day -day now, you're helping individuals develop, you know, image consulting, brand awareness, public speaking, et cetera. But one topic we've touched on with, with other guests, and I think you're you're by far the expert in this space, we're seeing organizations really gravitate towards individuals that lever a personal brand for corporate success. Can you give any commentary on where you see the market moving in regards to that? Absolutely, yeah. So when you think about future of work as a, as a whole, future of work basically identifies three constructs. What the work is, who's doing the work, and where the work is getting done. So those are the three constructs. Obviously now going from fully in office to 
Some are hybrid, some are fully remote. That's just kind of the way of the world in the future now. And what's happening now is a lot of people's personal brands is creating separation. I've always said, you know, uh, to create elevation, you have to create separation. And if you look in the world we live in now from a media standpoint, where everybody has a voice now, anybody can get on Twitter and start writing threads. Anybody can jump on Instagram, post some reels, post some videos, and now, you know, they have a personal brand. And I've always said that a personal brand is two things. It's consistency and frequency. And so if you, whether you're a comedian, whether you build furniture, whether you are a podcaster or a marketer, whatever it is, whatever you do on a consistent basis and a frequent basis, that becomes your brand. Because whenever I'm working with a large group of students or, or a large audience, I can't tell every individual in there how to build a brand because they may be, there may be 300 different brands they want to build. And so from a personal brand standpoint, it's variable. Every person may have a different brand that they're going after. But what are you known for? And so I would say that the brand I tried to build when I was coming up, athletics, was I would do anything and everything with a smile on my face, right? And so I think when your brand is, is more so known for a way of doing things, a way of life, a temperament, or how you treat people, how you approach your day, I think that will get you further than the bells and the whistles. And those things are great, but I always tell people when I'm working on teaching people how to build their brands and nonverbal communication, Always start on the inside out. I always start on the inside. I teach you about perspective, mentality, and mindset. Because I can teach you how to stand, how to dress, how to do hand gestures all day. But if you're not a great person on the inside, eventually that will catch up to you. So I think you're seeing a trend now that is going to continue, honestly. But there's also a lot of value in people that are not as extroverted or do not want to take that route. Because I read a book by Susan Cain called Quiet, uh, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And some of the most innovative leaders you've ever heard of are introverts or self-identify as introverts. And it doesn't mean they just stand in a corner all day and look at the wall. It just means they need to recharge and they're very thoughtful and they think if they cut twice, they, they measure twice, 10 times and they cut in once. And so there's always going to be a place for those people in certain roles and opportunities, but you're seeing more and more people that have those brands that have that cachet are sitting to the top levels. Man, I love that. And and I think it's very well said, uh, Will. The, the two things I pulled out was consistency and frequency. And I think those are two things, regardless of what you're, you're trying to apply, those two things will help you, in our case, win the day uh, in whatever you go after. So really appreciate you sharing that. I want to pivot back to Baylor. Uh, and you commented on that, Will, especially with your with your pedigree and probably being around some of the most successful coaches and or athletes, one of the things we talked to on, on Win the Day with Watson is unlocking the coveted it factor. Essentially, how do you separate yourself in a world of quote unquote human commoditization to truly differentiate? As you've worked with a lot of high performing coaches and athletes, Will, what's one thing you've seen that you know, you might be able to put your, your finger on or, or really give the audience some perspective of, of an example as what's made the, you know, high level performers different um, in the way they approach things. Yeah, man. You know, I'll tell you a, a quick story from the uh, college football playoff national championship uh, 2018. So that was the year Alabama and Georgia met in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So literally the perfect storm. And I'll tell you some stuff that, you know, outside of the stadium that literally made it a perfect storm. So uh, that night, it was raining. We had a presidential visit from Mr. Trump, and I was on the front lines of that, and I just started four months prior. And I was I had gone from doing licensing and apparel licensing in Atlanta to moving to Dallas, start working at the national championship, doing security and credentialing, only to come back to Atlanta to put the national championship game on. 
And so that was the first year of mobile ticketing. And we learned the average college football fan is a 55-year-old male with a flip phone. And so mobile tickets and those things didn't really talk to one another. So we had to figure that part out. And uh, one particular scenario came up where we had a whole kind of backlog of about 600 people per day trying to figure out the mobile ticketing situation. And we had three people that were kind of on staff to take care of that. But obviously that got outside of their, you know, their, their, their uh, level of being able to handle that. And so I saw my, my, uh, my boss, uh, name was Michael Kelly. His name is Michael Kelly. He's now the athletic director at university of South Florida. And I saw him do some things I've never seen a leader do before. <clears throat> so obviously Ticketmaster was our partner for that event and for the mobile tickets. Michael Kelly walked out of the room once he saw that our staff was stressed and was unable to handle the call back up. He went outside. I walked behind him and he called the CEO of Ticketmaster and he said, hey, my staff is having trouble here. We need some help. And there was a little back and forth. And he says, I don't care what it costs. Get him on the ground tomorrow. And I walked in the next morning. There were nine people with suits off from Ticketmaster with laptops open going to work and on the phones. And so I saw just the power of that relationship. So that was one scenario. The other scenario was when we were trying to get Mr. Trump into the national championship. So his motorcade was 37 vehicles deep. So 26 vehicles, 11 motorcycles. The only problem was he came in an hour before they told us he was coming. And so we weren't prepared for that. And we we had to move 40,000 people from the first gate where he was coming in to the other three gates. And it was like a 10 to 15 minute walk and it was raining Lots of stuff going on, sirens. It was just, it was a mess. And I just saw his leadership. I saw his calmness. I saw how he handled the situation. I saw how he talked to every single person that had concerns, took every complaint and did not budge. And so when I, when I think about people that have that itch factor, a lot of it, what I look at is how calm they are under pressure and the strength of their relationships. Those are the two things I think that stuck out to me in the realm I've been in. And I've worked with a lot of high level coaches and I can tell you this real quick uh, as well. When I was at the American Football Coaching Association, I was still volunteering. Uh, it was the night after Clemson had lost the national championship game. Uh, it was earlier on. I can't remember what year it was, but they had lost the night before. And ten hours later, Davos Smitty was walking into the head coaches meeting. And this this we had to be about ten hours away from where he, where, he, where the national championship game was. But to see his leadership, to show his face, to say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here with my peers." I'm gonna, you know, be present. I'm not gonna skip out because we we lost. That showed a lot of grit, a lot of leadership, and a lot of resolve to me. So that's what I think I've seen. And when you see all the FBS coaches all together in the same room, and you see the alphas in that room, it's different. It's it's a it's a it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. But I think the last thing I'll say is Mark Rick, quiet confidence is unlike anything I've ever seen before. You know, he's obviously a man of devout faith. And you can see it. And the respect level is just out of this world. And there were people in there. And I remember, I remember when uh, Bill Snyder was coaching, whenever someone had a comment, they would look at the uh, the old man first to get approval. And he would just nod slowly like an old school wizard. And then they would start talking. So I was out there, but that was some of the dynamics that I saw, man. It was just amazing. No, I, I love that, Will. And I love you giving our, our audience some perspective into things that, that no one sees, kind of the curtain being pulled behind behind the door. But one thing you touched on, and it's another thing we constantly hear, is is not only calmness but grit. And you know, you know, you can't spell grit without it. It the it factor. So I I think that's a common thread, Will, that all these successful individuals they figured out 
not only how to perform and, you know, under extreme pressures, et cetera, but how do we, you know, kind of keep that chip on our shoulder and operate with the grit to unlock the it. Absolutely. So really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's, let's back up even a little bit more because I want to really get your perspective and, and provide some insight into, I know you spent some time at Baylor, SMU, and TCU. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're in the great state of Texas. Uh, I, I don't want to you know, poke the bear at all for, for, for you in Mississippi, but those are three programs that have had tremendous amount of success across a variety of different uh, you know, sports and, 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 and both women's and men's. Well, what was your involvement with those you know, entities? How did you kind of help coach through some of the, the student athletes as far as helping you know, get them prepared for life after sports? But give our audience some of that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say it started out as a mistake. It's another thing that was very fortuitous. But it started off as a mistake. In my mind, at least. So when I was at, at Ole Miss, I was a strength and conditioning intern and I went and got my my certification. And then three months before I graduated, I figured out I didn't want to I didn't want to coach anymore. I, I decided I was going to move to the business side of sports. I was going to be a sports admin done with it. So I get accepted to Baylor with the help of my mentor, uh, Mr. Jamil Northcutt. And basically, I get to Baylor and he says, hey, when you get there, I want you to go in and meet with one of my guys. Uh, his name is Kaz Kazadi. We were roommates when we were with the Kansas City Chiefs. I said, okay, cool, no problem. And so I made the cardinal, I, did, I committed the cardinal uh, sin or mistake of not looking the guy up before I got in there. And so I go into his office. I just got my khaki white polo on. I'm, again, I'm a, I'm a grad assistant at AFCA. So I'm a, I'm a student at Baylor. My grad assistantship has just started and I'm walking in to say hello. I'm going to be on my way and go back to work. So I walk into the room, said, hey, Mr. Uh, Kazadi. Uh, my name's Will. I uh, just kind of say hello. Um, Jamil told me to come speak to you. I was nervous and uh, just talking to him. And he says, sit right there. I said, yes, sir. He says, I hear you're a coach. I said, yeah, I used to be, but I'm moving. He said, wait one second. Went outside, pulled in all 12 of the coaching staff members across all sports. They came inside out. I walked into the staff meeting, apparently. So he says, wait right there. So staff meeting starts. And he says, hey, Coach Will, Coach Will, says, tell the staff how you're going to start working with us tomorrow at 6 a.m. and coaching our athletes. I was like, uh, well, my name's Coach Will. I'll be working with you guys. You know. And I was there for the next two years. The best experience of my life. Up 4.15 a.m. every morning, coaching by 6, done by 8.30, go shower, go to class, go to work, come back and pull up, set up for the next day. It was like clockwork. And best experience of my life. So that was that piece at Baylor. Some things happen. He moves on to Arkansas State. And then he gets the job at SMU. He calls me the week before he starts and says, hey, Coach Will, I know you're in Dallas. Just got the, the SMU job. I need you to come help me set the culture. Yes, sir. I'm on the way. So I, as I get to SMU and I'm there, you know, start to finish. We're coaching. You know, and just helping him because he moved from different places. and But he knew, I knew how he wanted things done. He knew that I could kind of internally influence the staff as well as student athletes very subtly and keep his voice kind of even when he wasn't around. And so something else happened while he was at SMU. This is a very personal story, but I always like to just be transparent. So I got sick in 2020. I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism, but for six months, I didn't know I had it. And so my body was overheating. I could not sleep with the, with the air conditioner over 63. I could not sleep without it. My body was overheating. I lost 25 pounds, tremors, everything. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just stress because it was the pandemic. 
And so you kind of mix and match and like, okay, well, maybe some stress of the pandemic, what have you, but I was actually sick. And so Coach Cause uh, face counts in one day and says, hey, you know, how, how you doing, Coach? And he was at home with COVID tracing, um, contact tracing. And I said, well, I'm not doing too well. And he drove from Plano uh, down to Oakland, um, in, uh, uptown Dallas, and picked me up and took me to the, to the hospital. And that's when they saw, you know, what is happening. So typically your thyroid level should be between 0.8 and 1.8. Mine was 7.4. And they told me that if this had gone untreated another few months, then it would have taken me out of here. And so I can say this guy literally saved my life. He literally saved my life. So when he got the TCU job, I came running. And I, I typically go out two, three times a week. And we're coaching, you know, it's about our drive for me, but the loyalty, the relationship that we have, and even when things would happen at Baylor, we were, we stood side by side, you know? And so that's what I just kind of picked up from that. And those institutions, you know, have really taught me a lot, you know, they all run differently, but they all care about their student athletes and they all have a desire to win. And I've, and you notice everywhere he goes, he wins. TCU went on the run last year, they did, in large part because of him and great other great coaches. But the common denominator is when SMU got really good, Coach Collins was there. When Bailey was good, really good, he was there. You know, so and I want to be around that excellence. And the last thing I'll say to that, what he taught me with Baylor, he posed a question one time. He asked our student athletes, and I was looking in too, and said, "What are you the best in the country at right now?" And I thought about it. I said, "Well, what am the best in the country at right now?" I have no, I no idea, Coach. And so I found an, a gap in the organization where no one was really cleaning the, the student athletes' bottles after each workout. And so I got 125 bottles, two tubs full of soap and water, and I was scrub, scrubbing, scrubbing. I was in it, on it, and for it for the next two hours. And that became my job. And that's kind of how I earned my stripes and earned my gear. And it taught me a lot of life's lessons that have really served me well over time. And to this day, I still wear my my band where it says confidence is a choice. And the eyes are replaced with ones, the, the new world one, which means we do one thing, 1% better one day at a time. Man, I, I love that. So you do one thing, 1% better one day at a time. Yeah. And the, the other thing I heard you say, Will, and I'm a big believer in, you mm-hmm. touched on the on the word culture yes. and how culture can drive in a good way or a negative way performance. Mm-hmm. Can you give our audience some perspective, Will, and how you're helping to not only shape culture, but but really maybe you know, bring out the best in emotional intelligence with some of these student athletes that did go through the highs and lows of performance? Absolutely. Yeah. So as part of my program, when I work with student athletes and even even staff members, when I go on campus and I'm actually heading to uh, Iowa State this evening, part of it is I have an ABC program where I, that I follow and it goes appearance, behavior, communication, digital and emotional intelligence. And these are the five aspects we cover to make sure that they are prepared in every aspect of what it means to have a great brand. And no more in importance is the emotional intelligence piece. We spent a lot of time on that because I think a lot of times now with digital communication, some of the kind of ways we used to communicate and how we used to connect with one another have gone away. And you have kids that have grown up literally with a phone in their hand, right? And so I'll, I'll, I've heard about B2B is business to business, but I always think it's gonna be H to H, human to human. And so if we want to be able to, to sell, to be able to market, we still have to get to the hearts and minds of the people, whatever that looks like, whatever era, whatever part of the culture we're in. And so from an also intelligence standpoint, the first thing is understanding you have a culture by design or by default. You have a culture, but it's about taking that head on and saying, hey, I'm a part of this culture or I have uh, I have a I have a say so in this culture and, and making the making a difference. And so I would say. When I was at the college football playoff under Michael Kelly's tutelage, 
the best time I've ever had, the best organization I've ever had because he told us literally every day, this is what the culture was and this is how we're going to be. And there was really, you weren't going outside of that because he was just hell-bent on making sure people were treated correctly and um, and had a great time. And so the emotional intelligence point really is just about care. Care to understand, to meet people where they are. If you can't meet people where they are, you got to leave them where they are, honestly. And so I try to help my student athletes and people I work with to just just to just stop and think and just to make sure they're listening to listen and not listening to respond. And a quick story about that. I was eighth grade, never forget it. Guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder to show me his progress report and report card. And he had straight A's on it. Now, granted, I grew up two parent household, uh, very, very privileged upbringing, to be totally honest, especially where I was living. This gentleman didn't have that set up. Every time he'd go, every night he'd go home, it might be five or six more people in the house that it should have been, right? And so anything you could think of, guns, drugs, and he had made straight A's in his report card. And so I said to him, I said, man, I bet you are so proud. And I bet you can't wait to get home and show your parents. They're going to be so proud of you. I was speaking from my perspective. And I saw his eyes tear up a little bit. And he says, um, no one at my house really even cares about this. I'm going to sign it myself and bring it back like I always do. And from that point on, I don't think he ever did that well again, you know, in school. And over time, you could just see kind of a decline. And so I've tried to be more and very intentional about every every student, athlete, or person that reaches out to me. I'm taking every call, every email, every text, because you never know uh, where somebody may be dealing with at that point in time and how just words of encouragement can help shape their life. And the last thing I'll say from that uh, standpoint, I was in a bank about 13, 14 years old. There was a gentleman for our local recreation sports department that was in the bank. And my voice had just changed. I just hit puberty. And um, and to, for context, people used to call the landline on my on my house phone and they would mistake me for my mom. And my mom has a high-pitched voice. So that was a huge uh, octave here. So basically, he uh, heard me talking. He leaned back from the teller, um, kind of teller portal. He said, um, hey, uh, he says, Lil Will, is that you? I said, uh, yes, sir. I said, my, my deep, very white voice. I said, yes, sir. And uh, he heard me talking. I was te- uh, talking to the teller. I was being very nice and kind to her and polite. And he said, oh, man, I said, I didn't know you could talk like that. He says, one day you're going to use your voice to help people. Now you watch what I tell you. I was 14 years old. My dad had never said anything about it. My mom never mentioned it. And they've only been very supportive. But for someone to just speak life into you at that point in your life and to see how it came, how it came to be, man, I'm very intentional about speaking life into people. And there's a quote by Truett Cathy, founder founder of Chick-fil-A, and he says, uh, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? The answer is if they are breathing. And so that's what I look at as emotional intelligence and how you can build a great culture, just care and meet people where they are. Well, I, I think those are very valid points. The one thing I also heard you talk through, and you've touched on this even since the beginning, it sounds like, Will, you know, you grew up visualizing kind of success or, or that mantra that you've had for yourself. But oftentimes, and this is another theme of our podcast, visualization often fuels realization. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm hearing is here you were growing up, you know, a, a great communicator, you know, constantly looking to help others. And now you've built yourself a tremendous brand traveling all over the country, reaching thousands of people and ultimately helping these universities not only build probably better student athletes for the for the current in their current performance but you're setting the stage to help these individuals scale their careers uh, in whatever aspect they go through so 
Can you give the audience some perspective on on what that curriculum looks like for you, Will, and how you're tailoring that message for life after sports and what what some of those you know talking points look like? Yes, absolutely. So uh, the title of my book, The Blueprint for a Successful Career, uh, basically identifies how you can approach your career as a student athlete. And so a lot of what happens now is, I'm just going to be totally transparent here, a lot of student athletes are kind of pulling a conveyor belt system where you know, they can run fast, they can jump high, they got a nice smile, and they just get passed through. And even with NIL now, I think it's a great thing, but I think it can be, it can be detrimental too if we're not careful. Because some student athletes are making more money than they'll ever make ever again in their lives. I mean, some will go on to the pros and become major stars, but that's still about 2% or less. For the other 98%, they're going to have to go pro in something else. And while there are more opportunities and resources now than ever, there's also a lot of societal pressures that are put on student athletes to be doing this or to be, to be hustling and grinding and doing this and doing that. And you got to be on social media and you got to be over here. You got to be doing this and you gotta be a great person. You got to have an LLC. You know, it's just a lot of kids to do that. I didn't have the pressure when I was that age, right? I got into it as I was older, but I didn't have that pressure at that age. And so I think what we have to do, what I try to remind them is to just literally live in the moment, live in each moment and win each day, like win each day, like we talk about here, because uh, they are human at the end of the day. And I'll tell you this, I spoke at the NCAA convention last year and I said probably about I spent about 45 seconds on mental health and out of an hour presentation, do you know, after I got done presenting, there were 78 kids lined up to talk about mental health, 78. Wow. And I, I talked to every single one of them. I did not leave the, I did not leave the building, but that told me, I said, we got a problem on our hands. We got a serious problem on our hands because I'm not even a mental health expert. I'm not trained. I try to be empathetic, but I'm not trained. And so for that many people to come up for a 45 second blurb, told me a lot and it told me that I have to make sure I'm addressing everything and not just the outside stuff because they really have some stuff they're dealing with. And so as far as talking points, like I'm embedded to um, ISU tomorrow, we're going to talk about everything from how you enter the room, when you treat, how you treat the receptionist before you even get to the interview space, uh, how you dress, how you show up, how to prepare for virtual in-person interviews, uh, whether you are sitting on the edge when you're sitting with someone mirroring their body language. So they lean forward, you may lean forward. How you draw hand gestures, beepling, you name it. We're going to go all the way in depth and just also have them do research. So if you want to be in XYZ position, you need to be researching those people in that position, reaching out for informational interviews, seeing how you can maybe wash out and we get some experience because a lot of them have schedules that are so busy, they don't have time to go and get re- uh, resume builders or internships. And I'll be totally honest, I will see some student athletes that would send, submit resumes for jobs and they would have bullet points to solve quarters on their resume to try to take up space because they had no experience. Right. And so I try to be mindful of their schedules, but also say, hey, there's people that have done it, you know, people that have figured out a way, but I don't want them to get lost in the fact that hey, I'm making this money now and I may or may not go pro because at some point you're going to have to go pro in something else. And so, you know, I like to tell them, hey, I'm all in favor of NIL, but we got to make sure we're preparing our student athletes and kids for what's after that. And so that's why I try to step in and help out. No, I love that. And I think the the one thing I also took away, a former athlete myself, is in sports, there's really two emotions, high or low. There's really no in between. And and, and for that mental state you, you commented on, it's it's a series of either, you know, weekly performance or daily performance where you're either up, you're down. 
and even kind of in the in the corporate environment, you know, it's it, it ebbs and flows. But the one thing you commented on that I I really like, and I think for our audience, they can really gravitate to. Every day, whether you're a student athlete, a student in college, et cetera, you have the ability to, number one, leverage and build your network. Mm -hmm. Number two, take advantage of some of these social streams that you've commented on to build your brand, Mm -hmm. to ultimately set yourself up for success in life after sports, life after just a student in general. So I think those are very valid points, Will, and hopefully for our audience that's that's tuned in, those can unlock some pearls to really help some folks scale their careers much faster than those hoping for, you know, the multi-million dollar payday that, that like you said, comes to one or two percent. Uh, and, and, and as I know, and was given good guidance on NFL stands for not for long. Well, that's right. That's so, you know, look, kudos that there's gentlemen like yourself out there that are traveling across the country, kind of giving those uh, those pearls and helping these students to brain train to give themselves an opportunity to win the day. So you mentioned uh, some of the books you've written, Will, um, and I know we talked about one, but you've written multiple books. Mm-hmm. Give our audience some perspective of, number one, you know, the, the mental fortitude it took to sit down and actually put pen to paper and scale that. But number two, what are some themes in these books? What are some pearls that our audience can, you know, obviously dive into or, or, or where can we get these books, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the first book, The Blueprint for a Successful Career, Originally released in uh, 2016, and that's uh, something I've co- co-wrote with my mentor, Ty Brown. The, 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 the purpose behind that book was to really combine two perspectives. So myself being a millennial and my my uh, my uh, co-writer being on a different side of the spectrum, we wanted to just talk about the, the, the two sides of it and how we could really build a great relationship and bring the things I brought to the table and the things he knew and make them work together. And so it's co-written. And so you'll see some things that he he wrote about and how you uh, manage people and how you uh, grow leaders and what he did for me because he helped me out tremendously. And then also how we as young professionals can bring our skills, our tech savviness, our resources to the table. And we, we marry those two. And so that's what that was all about. Understanding the lay of the land, uh, cultivating your career field, and then reaping the harvest. And sometimes we want to skip to that third part of reaping the harvest, but Seed timing harvest is something I believe in wholeheartedly, and we have to just yeah wait our, wait our turns. We have to plant those seeds, and uh, sometimes social media can make it look like people are moving at warp speed. But I heard uh, Alan Stein Jr. say this one time. A guy walked him t- up to him one time and said, "Hey man, I want to do what you do." And uh, Alan Stein said, "Well, you got to do what I did 15 years ago, you know." And so I thought that was uh, really something to take to heart. And so from working at Walmart to being an Uber driver to coaching, working up at 4.15 in the morning, never making a dime from coaching, been volunteering for 10 years. But those are reps. As a speaker, those are reps where I can talk in short form in this loud environment. No one's got to look because it's, it's accepted there. And I can take those lessons and take what I'm learning from student athletes and take them to my next you know client or next gig because I'm on the front lines with them. So that's also part of it that, that serves me in that capacity as well. Uh, the second book I just finished was called um, um, the, the Mic Check, 10 Steps, 10 Steps for Monetizing Your Message, and it's available for free uh, on our website, monetizeyourmessage.com, and that's message, MSG. And honestly, I just want to, to give back. I had a lot of support. We sold over 6,000 copies of the first book in seven countries. And so I just want to kind of give back and also just kind of build our audience 
So we monetize your message startup. And I'm a person that I enjoy building stuff more than I just like reaping the harvest. I enjoy the, I love building stuff, setting up the profiles and the, picking the colors. Like I love that part of it. And I just kind of fall in love with that process. And I'm working on my third book now. It probably will come out so that you did next year, maybe 25. I don't know. I'm gonna say next year to hold myself accountable. I'm saying next year, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a fiction book. It's a fiction book that really talks about seven people you meet in the park. And so I, I had an injury a long time ago where I got hurt in a basketball game and I was on crutches for a number of weeks and it made me slow down. It made me, when I was, when I was doing rehab, there were things I walked past, there were signs, there were people that I'd never noticed before. And so it's all about slowing down and enjoying, enjoying life, enjoying the fruits of your labor and just appreciate the beauty of, of life and what it has to offer. And so ever since then, I've been a big outdoorsman, spent a lot of time outside. And so I think that's a book that I want to help people to slow down and understand the beauty in each day and also win, win each day. Well, well, I love that. You know, that's the theme, win the day. Uh, I, I heard you talk about patience pace. Yes. You know, that, that's a common theme. And, and one, one thing we've talked about on, on past podcasts, but I think it's another resounding theme, by the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. And a lot of times, myself included, I think we're all guilty of this, is we see kind of that, that shiny penny or, or you see the Ferrari in someone's garage and think, and you really don't realize that that individual has put in a lot of work in the shadows to put themselves in that position. And so I, I think you're, you're onto something, Will. Uh, and obviously, I'll be tuned in to when that book is released because you never know who's around you. You never know who you might come in contact with that might open that next door to put yourself in a position of success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the theme that I really heard you talk through uh, in that regard, Will. So as we start to kind of close and summarize a lot of the, the things you've touched on, Will, uh, and, and I think these are going to be tremendous pearls, not just for student athletes, because I know that's who you really, you, your, your message is empowering today, but I see a lot of similarity for even folks that are tenured in business, new in business, to think differently, to act differently, to ultimately try to build and scale that brand that you've touched on throughout this show. Can you give any guidance, Will, to to individuals that, that may not have adopted this, you know, omni-channel or kind of social branding component that, that you're an expert in as to maybe what are some of the most simplistic ways to start to think differently and leverage social channels to build their brand? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first thing I tell people is, it's the old quote from Stephen Covey's book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, begin with the end goal in mind begin with the end goal in mind. And there's people that have aspirations to make millions of dollars and that's fine. There's also people I know that have never made a dime over $40,000 a year and that's also fine. You know what I mean? And so I think we have to just, you know, be mindful that people have different aspirations and uh, different goals and and understand that every part of that is fine. They all make, make up our ecosystem and everything is fine about that. And I've never looked at someone's, um, you know, social profile or bank account or what they drive to make them seem as though they're a better person because of that, you know? As arguable, the halo effect, we look at something or somebody and we think, oh, they're great here. It must be great in every other area. And sometimes not always the case. And so I like to really get to know people beyond that. Um, the second thing I would say is if you do have that interest, make sure you find a message that resonates with you because people I know more than all, I see this now, there are people I've seen post the same exact content and literally get no reaction. And this other person gets a lot of reaction 
because this was on brand for this person. This was authentic to this person. And this person was just looking for a clickbait and a few likes, right? And people can see through that more than, more than you realize. People can see through that lack of authenticity and that lack of consistency. So if you're just popping out every now and then to, to ride some kind of trend or wave, people will see that that is not being authentic. And so I think you have to give your audience more credit to understand, hey, they know what's going on. They know what's up. So make sure that you are serving them correctly and also finding a niche. If you are serving everybody, you're not serving anybody. That's what I've learned. You really have to find a niche of people that you want to serving. You know, you mentioned uh, something you know earlier. We talked about Ferraris and Lamborghini, uh, Ferraris. And this is uh, something I just want to touch on because I did a post on this recently, but I didn't know this until like a month or so ago, but the way Lamborghini and Ferrari started, and I think this kind of fits in with the theme of winning the day and being true to yourself and following your goals and your dreams and aspirations. But what was, um, there was Enzo Ferrari and Ferrucci Lamborghini. These are two Italian gentlemen, car makers. And Mr. Ferrari was first to market and he was doing his thing and making great cars and a supercar, a luxury brand of that model as it is today. When Mr. Lamborghini was building tractors and very successfully. And so when he, his, his business took off, he decided he wanted to go buy himself sell a Ferrari as a reward, right? So tractor business, the Lamborghini tractors were doing great. Buy himself a Ferrari and learns that the clutch is malfunctioning. The, the, clutch, the clutch has got a defunct in it. So he reaches out to Mr. Ferrari and says, hey, the clutch in this car is no good. You know, we'd love to help you out a little bit and see what we can do. And Mr. Ferrari completely ignored him, just ignored him, disregarded him. And so Ferrucci Lamborghini said, you know what? I'm going to build my own cars. I'm going to start my own business. But here's the kicker that led Mr. Lamborghini to go into market within six months of getting turned away by Mr. Ferrari. Mr. Ferrari had fired five of his best engineers in the car factory. They were tired of the way his wife was running the business and not listening to their their feedback, taking their, consider, taking their thoughts into consideration. And she was just running with an iron fist and they got sick of it. And so they complained to him. And what did he do? He turned them away and they quit. Mr. Lamborghini hired them and Lamborghinis were born six months later. And so I just think it speaks to the fact that you can always get better. You can always improve, but it has to be authentic to you. And the same people step on or on your way up will be the same people you pass on your way down. And so I just would say that if you do have those aspirations, you know, find an audience and find a comfort level, something you enjoy talking about. And one thing that my mentor, um, Coach Darren K. Roberts, always told me is that we don't launch anything until we have three to six months of content ready to go. Because that because because honestly, if you don't have the kind of backlog of content ready to go, your passion can turn into a blob and you can be slave to it and it can be stressful. So you want to build up that content and build up those resources so you can just, you know, just throw them, just, just slide them out and release them. And as you're building more and more, and you're gonna get, you know, more, more content in that in that uh, funnel. And so that's what I would say to people that are looking to start. The hardest part was getting started. And the same thing with public speaking. I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm scared of public speaking when I had imposter syndrome. This is what I say to people that, that say that to me. Is it really about you? Is it really about you? And, and what I've learned is this, being nervous just means that you care. It means you have a pulse. It means that you care about your content, your audience, with your performance. It means you care. Nothing wrong with being nervous. But the imposter syndrome that plays so many people makes me think you're more worried about what you can get than what you can give worried about the validation, the affirmation you're going to get when really you should be thinking about the information, the hope, the inspiration you can give to other people. And so that's something I had to get over myself. I'm like, okay, who is this really for? Is it for me or for my audience? 
And once I got past those hurdles, I was able to serve them wholeheartedly without wondering how I would look or how I'd be judged because I knew it wasn't for me. So that's what I would encourage people to think about who's really for Man, I love it, Will. I tell you, you've inspired me to go after a Ferrari or Lamborghini myself. Uh, really like that story. I think you're living proof that consistency and frequency continues to put yourself in a position to impact. I know for our audience, Will, at Win the Day with Wasab, they have been blessed. We wish you nothing but continued success to inspire. One thing that that we like to end things with with on Win the Day with Wasab, Will, we rise. We grind, we shine, we impact. That's right. If it ends in why, we choose to win the day. Love it. Thank you so much, my man, for joining. Wish you continued success and can't wait to, to read the next book. And we'll continue to see the impact you're having, not only on student athletes, but folks across the country looking to scale their brands and win the day. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Chase. My best to your beautiful family, brother. Thank you.